I'd like to turn to the book of Revelation this morning. Last night we uh, were in the very first book of the Bible, and this morning we'll go to the end, uh, to the book of Revelation in chapter 1. Now, if, uh, if your Bible is like mine, the authors have uh, titled this, The Revelation of St. John Divine. Is that what yours has? Does anybody have that? The Revelation of St. John Divine. And I'll show you here in just a moment why I have marked through the word of and written the word to. The Revelation to St. John Divine. And that's because the very first words of this book say the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so I figure we ought to just stick with the authorized uh, uh, inspired word. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John as he was exiled on the island of Patmos and uh, as God revealed something unto him. And so, uh, you know, there's an interesting, uh, at least I think, interesting uh, background to this word revelation. Have any of you seen any movies, read any books uh, about uh, apocalyptic events. Have you seen that? You know, uh, there's, there's movies and jokes about the apocalypse like there's no tomorrow. That'll hit you in just a moment. And the interesting thing about this word revelation, if you go back to the Greek, this word revelation is the, actually the word, the Greek word, apocalypsis. And so what apocalypse really means, it doesn't mean uh, that there is some cataclysmic event. The word apocalypse is not talking about the, the, uh, the absolute end of the world in terms of that last uh, thing where the aliens come down and everything is destroyed and that's the apocalyptic event, right? But instead, it's talking about revelation. And that's what the word apocalypsis really means is to reveal. In fact, the, uh, the concept behind that word is uh, a, a lifting up and a revealing in that way. Now, I think of it like this. When somebody's got something uh, cooking in the pot on the stove, right? And it's smelling real good, and you want to know just exactly what's in that pot that's cooking and smelling so good, and, and maybe you go lift the lid up, and you look down into that pot to see what's all going to be in that wonderful soup or stew or whatever it is that's cooking in there, and you lift the lid up. That's revelation. That's apocalypsus, is when you lift the lid up off of it so that you can see it. And that's exactly what God did with John as he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Uh, uh, God visited with John and he said, let me lift the lid off of the future for you a little bit here so you can look down into it and see what all is coming. And that's exactly what God did to John. He revealed it unto John. So that's, uh, that's our revelation. Well, this is not the only revelation that is given, uh, in, and it's not the only revelation that's recorded in the Scriptures either. We can go back to the, uh, to the Old Testament, and we can see where God continued to reveal things. Remember last night, uh, for those of you who were with us last night, we talked about how that, uh, uh, that, that uh, uh, God revealed unto Adam and Eve 
that, uh, that hope of salvation, that little nugget right there that He gave unto them. And God has been revealing little bit by little bit as time has gone on. Uh, as the Scriptures say, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, God has continued to reveal. In fact, God has revealed uh, a, a great amounts to people at times. You take the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was able to see wonderful things. You remember he actually said that he was caught up into the third heaven and saw things that were so wonderful that he couldn't even describe them. He couldn't even uh, talk about them. They were so uh, wonderful that, that he saw. And, and he actually said that that... Uh, that is why God gave him that thorn in the flesh the, 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 that, uh, the, to, to buffet him was lest he get lifted up through the abundance of revelations. And that's what the, the Apostle Paul said. And so uh, revelation is, uh, is something that God has been doing uh, time and again. You, uh, Jesus Christ himself uh, came and he spoke in parables. And his disciples asked him one time, said, why do you speak in parables, right? Why are you speaking uh, in parables? And he explained to them that these things are not given to some people to understand, but it's given to you to understand, and you can understand these parables. And uh, and the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you want to hold your finger at Revelation, go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I I really, uh, this, this spoke a lot to me. Uh, where the Apostle Paul said in verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. We're speaking about a different kind of wisdom, Paul says. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, do you like to read mysteries? You like little mysteries, right? Here is a mystery. God, Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God. It's, it's, it's in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, listen to this language, which God ordained before the world, God ordained this wisdom, this heavenly wisdom, this godly wisdom, God ordained it before He ever created anything. God ordained that wisdom. And listen to this next prepositional phrase, unto our glory. Isn't that something? Not that it, doesn't, it doesn't say unto God's glory. It says unto our glory. That is that God might reveal unto us the glory that He has within us. The glory that is placed within us. So it's a, this, this is a, a mystery. The mystery of God within man. The mystery of a God that is bigger than anything. The, a God that's so, so abundant that we can't even imagine it down into mankind. And when I think about that, I, I think about the movie Aladdin, right? And um, uh, when, when the genie at one time says about Jafar, now y'all following me, you got the Aladdin story down, Pat? When the genie says about uh, Jafar, uh, you know, going, uh, being sucked when he, was, he wanted to be the big genie, right? And sucked down, he was sucked down into the little lamp. Uh, great big genie, little bitty living space, right? <laughs> and this is God, right? Great big God, little bitty living space right here. And, uh, and sometimes I try to, to, to hem him in even more than I should, right? And I, I shouldn't at all. But at any rate, this, this is the God within us. He says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would, have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But this mystery of God within us, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But 
God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. And so as we uh, go back to the book of Revelation now in, in that first chapter, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, that, that God gave uh, to Him, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And then He sent and signified this revelation by His angel unto his servant John. And so here is something that God the Father gives unto the Son, Jesus Christ, to be revealed through the Holy Spirit unto John as he is exiled on the island of Patmos. He says he sent and signified it by that messenger, by that Holy Spirit. He sent and signified it unto his servant John. I like this, uh, that he signified it. And uh, if you, uh, if you from Mississippi like I am, you might have be tempted to say he signified it. But that's actually a pretty good way of saying it. he signified it, right? Yeah. He he signified it. He signified it. He signed. Uh, one time I was on the uh, on the internet, and we know that you can get all things on the internet, and we won't talk about people who are in the business of the internet. But uh, the uh, um, uh, you can, I saw one time on the internet. That somebody was selling a Bible. It was. It had shrink wrap on it. You know. It was and and it, it had a label right there on there, and it said signed by the author. I was real tempted to buy it. I wanted to see God's signature. You know, signed by the author. Well, God signed this. He sent this message. This revelation was from God uh, to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit delivered unto John. It was signified by, by God Himself uh, to John. And John bare record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he saw, he bare record of these things. And the Scripture says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So that's a good, uh, good introduction to the book of Revelation there about where it came from and kind of what its, uh, what its uh, uh, proposition is, what its purpose is there as he has delivered this unto John. Now we turn to verse 4, and John is going to write uh, uh, these uh, uh, seven letters to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, he's not writing these of his own accord. John is literally being a... Uh, a secretary, if you will, a transcriber. Um, he is the, he is the uh, court reporter, however you want to say it. He's the one who is writing things down that God is telling him to write down. And, and John writes these seven uh, letters to the seven churches of Asia. But uh, he, he introduces all, of, all seven of these letters in this way. Grace be unto you and peace from Him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so here is John. He's writing... Uh, and, and as he introduces these seven letters to the seven churches of Asia, uh, as he is writing there, he, uh, he is saying, grace and peace to you. And he says, uh, from him which is and which, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, which is and which was and which is to come. 
And this is telling us about uh, the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere all at the same time. And not only is He everywhere in present, that is, not only is He here, but He is also over in the great state of Texas, even right now. Now, some of of you might not believe that He's in Texas, but He is. And, And so He's there, but not only is He in the United States, He's in other countries. Not only is he in this hemisphere, he's in the other hemisphere as well, and, and he's all over. In fact, he's not only on this little third rock from the sun, he's also uh, uh, on the moon. He's also in, in Saturn. You know, he's also wherever, you, wherever we might be able to send uh, 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 people or probes into space, God is already there. God is everywhere all at the same time. And he is not only everywhere in present, but he is also everywhere in the past, and he's also everywhere in the future, and he is everywhere past, present, and future all at the same time. And as the young people would say, <laughs> mind blown, right? Right. Uh, they blew, blew my mind on that because those were not my notes. Those are a picture I'm supposed to use here in a moment. But at any rate, we'll get to that. So uh, God is everywhere all at the same time. And uh, as he is everywhere all at the same time, he knows all and he sees all. But what I want to focus on is not uh, the God the Father, that is, from, from whom we get grace and peace. It's not even this morning from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. I want to focus on that those seven spirits which are before his throne. The seven spirits that are before the throne of God. Now that's interesting language to me to read that and to think, okay, what is he talking about? The seven spirits of God. What are those seven spirits? And this isn't the only place John mentions it. He mentions it in chapter 3 verse 1 as he writes unto the church at Sardis. He says, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, uh, what does it mean to have the seven spirits of God? Are we certainly, uh, are we suddenly going to be uh, polytheists where we believe in multiple gods? Well, you know, we already kind of do the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet they're all in one. And that's why you have in your articles of faith, and I'm sure that Brother Steve has already covered this one because it's usually up uh, in, in the front, uh, at one of the top ones, and it talks about the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. Does your articles of faith mention the Trinity? We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and yet we believe these three are one. And while we might not fully comprehend it and fully understand it, yet that is what we believe. I'll tell you that when uh, Brother Steve and I were ordained many, 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 many years ago, uh, and as we were sitting there, we were sitting uh, there uh, in front of Brother George Johnson, uh, our father in the ministry, and he was going to question us, and Brother Steve and I are sitting there, and and, uh, because Brother Steve is so much older than me and so much senior than I am, uh, he turns, to, Brother George turns to Brother Steve and he asked about the Trinity. Brother Steve explained the Trinity. Brother Steve did a great job explaining the Trinity. And he goes to this verse and he goes to that verse. He brought in verses I didn't even know existed. Right? And, uh, and, and I mean, he was just explaining it real well. And he got to the end and Brother George turns to me and he says, Okay, Brother Mike, what do you think about the, the Trinity? And I just simply said, I believe everything Brother Steve just said. <laughs> And I thought, man, this is going to be easy. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, we do believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What, what about these seven spirits, though? What is that talking about? The seven spirits of God. And, and so we also, I want you to see, give you a little more indication in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, John sees in the right hand of him that sits on the throne that he has a book in his hand. And it's written within and on the back side, and it's sealed with seven seals. This book that God is holding is sealed with seven seals. And he sees a strong angel. Now, John emphasizes here that this is a strong angel. And I don't know if angels have different strengths. You know, I don't know if they have, uh, you know, if they're up there arm wrestling to see who is stronger. But, but John emphasizes here that it's a strong angel. This is not some weak angel, if there is such a thing, right? This is a strong angel. And the strong angel proclaims with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. There's nobody that can be found. Not even this strong angel can open the book and loose the seals thereof. And nobody was found in heaven and earth, under the earth. Nobody was found to open the book or, or even to look on the book. Nobody was, uh, was strong enough to do that. And so John says, I, I wept much because nobody was found worthy to open the book, not even to look their own. And one of the elders said, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, you know who that is. That's a reference, of course, to Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, I want you to know that that, uh, that word, the, the, that verb there in that sentence, hath prevailed, is in the aorist tense. And what the aorist tense means is that it is a past work that continues into the future unabated. And so it's, it's something that has happened in the past, and yet it continues all the way into the future, unlimited, and it continues unabated, it, it continues unreversed, right? And so uh, it, it's not like, you know, back in 2012, um, I got LASIK surgery on my eyes. And I've got one eye that sees a long distance and one eye that sees a short distance. I get them mixed up all the time because it's just all the same when you look through them. But, and, and I was so glad to get it done because I didn't have to wear glasses anymore. And, uh, and my main purpose in all of that was so I could wear sunglasses like a normal person. Now, isn't that prideful of me? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's, that was my, uh, I paid all that money just so I could wear sunglasses and not have to, you know, any rate. That's a whole different story. Don't want to chase that rabbit. So um, uh, now, where was I going with all that? That's, no, the uh, uh, it's, in my vision now, I can tell that it's changing a little bit. My, I got my eyes fixed in the past, but they're not going to continue into the future unabated. I I used to read, could read up close here, you know, and then I had to read up close here, and and then there, and and, and pretty soon I'm playing the trombone. <laughs> you see. And you know what I mean. Well, that's a past action that, that doesn't continue in abatement. This is the aorist tense, which means that it's a past action which continues unabated. And it says that the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. He's done it, and nobody is going to stop. And nobody's going to close the book again. Nobody's going to be able to reseal the book again. In other words, Jesus has been successful at opening this book. 
And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, again, a reference to Jesus Christ, as it had been slain, as it had been slain. I want you to know that um, even though the impact of the, uh, of the slain lamb continues into the future, the, the actual slaying is not aorist. It had been slain. That's not aorist. It happened. It happened once, and it was effective at that time. The impact of it continues in the future, but not the actual slaying of it, right? Not the actual hanging on the cross. Well, now listen to what he says then. This lamb, as it had been slain, has seven horns and seven eyes. If I saw a lamb like that, I'd run. <laughs> a lamb that had seven horns and seven eyes. And if you, if you look at the context of it, each horn has an eye, is what he's saying here. Each of the seven horns has a single eye in it. Seven horns and seven eyes. And he says that these seven horns and these seven eyes, they are... The seven spirits of God, which are sent forth into all the earth. And so the seven spirits, which are before the throne of God in, in Revelation 1, 4 and 5, the, those seven spirits, which are before the throne of God, and which refer to in the, the letter to the book at, uh, or to the church at Sardis, are a reference to the seven horns and the seven eyes, which are upon the lamb, that was slain, and we know from other scripture, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And so these seven horns and these seven eyes, well, that re that's represented. There's a lot in Revelation that is representative of something, right? And these seven horns and seven eyes represent, first of all, the horns. What does the horn represent? The horn represents authority. The horn represents, that's why that when the king would come in, they would blow the horns representing that the authority was there. Now, this is not a horn to be blown. This is an actual horn uh, on, the, on the top of the head, and, and, but it represents the authority. And, and, uh, and it says here that he has seven horns. These seven horns represent the full and complete authority of the slain lamb. And that's what the number seven represents. It represents the completeness, the thoroughness, of something, and, and so the, the seven horns represents the complete thorough authority, or if you will, the sovereignty of God, is what these seven horns represent. Now, each of the seven horns has an eye, and so you've got seven eyes that are going up there, and so what do the eyes represent? And the eyes represent something that sees all and that knows all, right? And so these eyes are representing that, that thoroughly and completely God sees all and God knows all. Or in other words, God is omniscient. God knows everything. So God has complete full authority. He is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is sovereign. And God knows everything. There is nothing that is hidden from God. God has an understanding and a knowledge of everything. He sees all, he understands all, and, uh, and nothing is hidden from him. So with that, with that understanding that the seven spirits of God in this typology are resting upon the, the Lamb, 
that, that are resting here upon him are represented by the seven horns and the seven eyes that are upon the lamb. Okay, y'all still with me? Got everything? Now we're going to go back and, and to the Old Testament and see what it tells us there. So turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 11. And let's, let's get some more information about these seven uh, spirits of God represented on the Lamb by seven horns and seven eyes. Let's understand about the Holy Spirit of God. So we've got uh, this, this number seven to work with. Now, uh, Brother Steve, if you'll pick that up for me. I, I'm sorry about that. I'll try not to be knocking things off around here. Now, I've got several of these, and you're welcome to come up and get one if you want to see it up close. But uh, I had, uh, I'm thankful to Sister Peggy and Sister Kathy as they um, uh, got this printed out for me. Uh, and I, I told you last night this would have something, some impact on the message this morning. Now, if you can see it, if you can't, you're welcome to come get one. Don't be shy. Um, I won't put you up here to preach, but five minutes if you come up. But uh, what you see here is a triangle, and, and, and there are six triangles here, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. There are six triangles here. And, and so uh, we've got the number six. But now, are there six triangles here? There's seven. And this is why this is it's just going to become important. This illustration is going to become important because what you see is you see seven triangles, right? Six of which are on the inside, and then there's this one big one that's on the outside, right? And so you've got these uh, seven triangles. So with that in mind, let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. Sister Peggy, Sister Kathy, all that hard work, and that's all I wanted out of it. But uh, I appreciate you doing it. Because visuals do help. Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And we know that this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ to come. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And listen to what's happened, going to happen to this, uh, this person, this, uh, this so-called rod, this so-called branch. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now I want you to count with me as we go through. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And how many did you get? You got six. So is that six of the seven spirits? Well, we also have up there where it says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Right? And that is the overall spirit. So you think about this, and you think about the Holy Spirit as the entire entity, and then, and then you think about six characteristics or six uh, spirits within the Holy Spirit, if you will, six characteristics here that are contained within the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And so uh, that makes up the seven spirits of God. You've got the, 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 the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as it's referred to here, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. And then it gives the six categories within, the, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. These are all within, contained within the Holy Spirit. And so you've got these seven spirits that are before the throne of God. You've got these seven spirits 
which are represented upon the head of the slain lamb in terms of, uh, of the authority and the power and the knowledge and understanding and such that, that the, Holy, that the uh, Holy Spirit has given unto God. Now, it says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And as you all know, we're hard shells. Right? And so we believe in those shells. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And when that happens, you've got these characteristics of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And as, as we know, when it comes to wisdom, God, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God has all wisdom, right? And, and the wisdom of God is, is, uh, is amazing. It's astounding. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, said it this way just to give us an illustration he said, the foolishness of God, as though God would have any foolishness. But that's, we, we know that there is nothing foolish about God. There was no foolishness with God. But just as a, as a way of illustrating it, uh, uh, that, that the wisdom of this world is, is really ignorance. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Right? And so uh, uh, God, in his, quote, foolish, most foolish way, is wiser than the wisest of all of the world. And, and so the wisdom of this world is nothing. The wisdom of God is everything. The wisdom that is from above is the wisdom that, uh, that is most important. And this wisdom comes through the Holy Spirit. Understanding. Having an understanding. It's one thing to read. It's another to have an understanding. And I was visiting with uh, Sister Kathy, and, and she was talking about how that her mother, she, her mother could read something and, and then translate it into, into action. She could understand it just from reading it. You know, with me, uh, I have to read about it, I have to see it, I have to sleep on it, and I have to get up and do it all over again for several times before I begin to just understand a little bit. And I just have to do it over and over again, right? Well, the Holy Spirit of God has this complete understanding of all things, and, and there is nothing that's not understood. And therefore, if, if the Holy Spirit has wisdom and understanding, then certainly the Holy Spirit makes a good counselor, Right? I've had people come to me for counseling, and I think, boy, oh boy, if you really knew me, you wouldn't be asking me for counsel. I don't have wisdom. I don't have understanding. I, I you know, I, I can't counsel myself, much less you. And, 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 but the Holy Spirit of God, the, we go to the Spirit, and the Spirit knows and understands and has this wisdom and is counselor. But also, the Holy Spirit of God has might. He has might, and that is he has the power to do something about it. You know, I've had, uh, I've had uh, people come to me and I've had my children come to me and, and they're complaining about something. And, and you know what they're complaining about? I can't do anything about it. You know, I can be a sounding board but, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and such, but I, I, I can't do anything about it. There's just not one thing I can do. God can do something about it. Right? God has the might to do something about it. He has the ability to do something about it. And he has the spirit uh, of knowledge as well. And, uh, and this knowledge, this gnosis, uh, G-N-O-S-I-S, that, uh, that he's talking about here is uh, an under, uh, uh, not just an understanding, but he, there's nothing that he doesn't know about. You know, there's a few things, uh, very few things in this world that I know about. You know, I, I, I know about just a very few minute, uh, minute uh, number of things. 
uh, but God knows about everything, and the, the uh, uh, Holy Spirit also has the fear of the Lord, that is a reverence of God. Even the Holy Spirit has this reverence of God, this respect of God. And so you've got this Holy Spirit, which, uh, which is the Spirit of the Lord, and it's broken down into these six sub-categories, uh, if you will, of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and, uh, and respect, and all of these come, to, to come together in the Spirit of God. So, then uh, I want you to now turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Isaiah, chapter 61. <clears throat> These seven spirits of God that are before the throne of God, and these seven spirits which represent the authority and the, the knowledge, the omnipotence and the omniscience uh, of, of God himself that, uh, that are there in the book of Revelation, the, spirit, the, the prophecy was that we just read there in Isaiah 11, the prophecy was that there's going to come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch uh, uh, shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of God with its uh, six categories are going to rest upon him. Well, this is uh, further explained and expounded upon by Isaiah here in chapter 61, where Isaiah writes, as he is led by the Holy Spirit of God to do so, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because Now, when he's saying this, he's not talking about himself. In fact, you could turn to the book of Luke chapter 4 and you can see where Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, the very word of God made flesh, dwelling among us, full of grace and truth, and that Jesus Christ went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day and they gave him a scroll to read and they gave him the, book, the scroll of the book of Isaiah to read. And you can just imagine Jesus unrolling that scroll and, and he, he reads from there, this very spot right here. So what we're about to read is something that Jesus once read out loud in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now that should kind of connect us even more, right? That we're about to do. It's like people go over to Israel, the Holy Land as they call it, uh, all the time so that they can walk where Jesus walked. Now, I don't, you know, there's no way to know if they're walking on the same dirt and the same rocks that Jesus walked on, right? But this I can assure you of, what we're about to read is the exact same thing that Jesus read out loud in the synagogue one day. And, and, and Jesus said, handed it back to him, remember? And he said, this day is this fulfilled. Now, we'll get over to that in just a moment, but before I get too far ahead of myself, this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now, here is a prophecy about Jesus. And as, as we will see in just a moment, we've already mentioned Jesus, when he rest, stand up, uh, stood up and read this that one day, he said, I am the fulfillment of this verse. This day, he said, is this fulfilled in your ears. 
Now, as we look at this, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Here is the Holy Spirit of God coming down. And as he says, uh, anointing him. The Holy Spirit is coming down, anointing him. And as we look at our illustration, I want you to picture, you know, you've got this up here. And it's coming down, and it's anointing, right? It's starting up there, and it's anointing. And it's anointing all over Jesus, Right as as he as he comes forward, and so uh, the Holy Spirit is anointing him. That's one. Number number two, which is the first of the six compartments, if you will, is to do what? Why has the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus Christ? First of all, to preach good tidings unto the meek. And so his his purpose is the Holy Spirit of God anoints Jesus Christ. His his purpose is that he might come forth and proclaim the good tidings, the good news unto the meek, that is, to the poor. We've got a song that says, poor, weak, and worthless, though I am. That's what he means by meek here. Poor, weak, and worthless. To you poor, weak, and worthless folks, and I love you a lot, but you're poor, weak, and worthless when it comes to the Spirit, except that the Spirit of God is resting upon you. Right. And so uh, and I am, too. So I, I'm I'm poorer, weaker and worthlesser than y'all. But uh, the whole the, the the spirit is resting upon Jesus Christ to, to come to the to the meek, the poor, weak and worthless and to give some good news, the good tidings. As the angel said, when they went to the shepherds watching their flocks by night, we bring you good tidings of great joy. Right. And so here uh, he said, that's that's my purpose is to preach good tidings unto the meek. Secondly, he says he has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. Well, if your heart is broke, it's good to get it bound up. Right. To get it fixed. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you that uh, back in um, 2014, 15, 15, 2015, uh, I had a heart attack. And, uh, and so uh, I went to the hospital and they fixed me up. They, they figured out what was wrong. They fixed me up. And it was as though uh, my heart was broken and I got it bound up. But you know, even better than that, God knows how to bind up the brokenhearted. And when I say brokenhearted, I'm not talking about that organ that beats within. I'm talking about the spiritual organ, if you will, that, that is within. God knows how to bind up the brokenhearted. This is part of the Holy Spirit resting upon Jesus Christ, not only to preach good news, but also to bind up your broken heart. And I'll tell you what, there's brokenheartedness all over this world. Brokenheartedness all over this world. And if, if, you, if, if you want to, to see someone who is brokenhearted, look to your left, look to your right, look in front of you, look behind you. We all experience this brokenhearted. If you have to do nothing else, look right up here. And I'll tell you that I experience brokenheartedness as well about some things. And so God is able to bind up the brokenhearted. He says also to set people free. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound... Not just to do it, but he says uh, to, to proclaim, to, to let you know about it, proclaim liberty to the captives and how that the prison has been opened up to them that are bound. And I think about it, the Apostle Paul and Silas as they were uh, there in their prison, you know, uh, and, um, and, and singing there at midnight and, the, and the, the, the earth shook and the doors opened and they could have fled. 
They didn't. They could have fled, and that's just symbolic, right? Peter, one time, the, the shackles were loosed off of him, and he uh, escaped from, from prison. And, and so uh, this is what Jesus Christ, again, not physically, not physical bondage, but, but this bondage in the Spirit. God comes down, and by the anointing of the Spirit, He says, look, I, the, the liberty is there. Thank, thank our God who has given us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The victory is there. The liberty is there. He has set you at liberty. He has opened up the prison and set you free. And then fourthly, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. He's saying that, that his, he's telling you what his calendar is here. The, the acceptable year of the Lord. The, the year that God has determined. Do you know that when Jesus Christ came the first time, the Scriptures tell us that in due time, Christ came. Right? In due time, Christ came. And He, he came when it was due. And, and that is when God had appointed Him. He's, Jesus is, is saying uh, the, the, the time, the acceptable year of the Lord is now... Uh, and, and the day of vengeance of our God is now the day when He takes vengeance on evil. And you know that the Scriptures say, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Right? And you know that any time that we take it upon ourselves to, to get vengeance, to get revenge, to get back at somebody, right? Yeah, I don't get angry, I get even, is the saying, right? Anytime we take that upon ourselves to get back at somebody, we are actually stealing from God Himself. Because God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I would imagine that if God owned something, we wouldn't want to try to take it, would we? I mean, that would be foolish on our part. And so why would we take on vengeance when God says it belongs to Him? Jesus says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, and then to comfort all that mourn. Right? To comfort all that mourn. And there is a lot of sadness, a lot of heaviness of the Spirit that goes on. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes down to comfort them that mourn. In fact, Jesus told the disciples, He said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another to you. He says, I'm going to send a comforter to you, right? Somebody to comfort you. And so uh, I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable. I, I, Brother Steve and I got here a little early uh, this morning, and uh, and uh, Steve was making sure that all was in, in order and such. Uh, and then he had to run an air, and I stayed here. And I said, uh, "Okay, well, I want to sit down. Where am I going to sit?" And I love being in here in the sanctuary, but I'm sorry I didn't come sit in a pew. <laughs> and I said, "Well, I can go downstairs, you know, and uh, and, and sit and and I love to eat with y'all, but I didn't. I wasn't going to go sit on those chairs down there either." And then I remembered, oh yeah, there's this little room over here where mothers take their babies. And sure enough, there was a comfortable chair in there. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I like to be comfortable. And I like to be comforted, right? And, and, and God says uh, G, uh, that Jesus is going to have this Holy Spirit. And he's going to comfort all that mourn. But not only to comfort those that mourn, but to give them something in place of their mourning. And that's the seventh part, the sixth compartment, but the seventh spirit, if you will, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, 
the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And you have the number three there, and you can go back and understand about the number three and what uh, it signifies. But he says, I'm going to give them beauty for ashes. Now, I I promised some folks this morning that we talk about uh, a word this morning that uh, on the surface it seems nice, but if you look at it deeper, it gives gives even a, a greater, richer meaning. And in order to understand that word, and that word is beauty here. And under, in order to understand that, we're going to have to understand the culture back then was that when somebody was mourning, when somebody was sad, when somebody had heaviness, and you think about Job and all that he went through, and you think about other instances, uh, King David uh, went at the death of his son, and they would rend their garments and they would put ashes on top of their head. That's what they would literally do. They would put ashes on top of their head. And so uh, as they would put the ashes on top of their head, it signified, it represented, it it let everybody know the the depth of their sorrow, right? The absolute depth of their sorrow to put ashes on top of the head. And this word beauty, actually to go back and understand it and look at it and study it in its original context gives an indication, not just we, we think of beauty, we think of, of like facial beauty, right? We think of beauty here, uh, and, and, and we do all these kinds of things, you know, uh, to make ourselves beautiful. And it's beyond hope for me, so I just don't do anything anymore. I did shave for you this morning, but uh, I missed a spot. And, and, but at any rate, the, the word beauty here indicates that the ashes have been swept off and this laurel, this, this uh, crown, has been put in its place. It's actually something that, that is not facial beauty. It's something that is beautiful that has been put on top of the head. A laurel, a crown, has been placed upon the head. And that's exactly what God has done. You have been given a crown. Now, when you get to heaven, you're going to take that crown and you're going to cast it at the feet of Jesus. Right? But that's exactly what he's saying here. I've, I've taken the ashes and in place of the ashes, I have put this, this crown of beauty on it. And what does he say? The oil of joy for mourning. The oil of joy for mourning. This, this mourning, which, which uh, uh, w- when people were in mourning, they put ashes on their head and they would not uh, 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 bother to clean themselves. And... Uh, and if, if that went on for some time, you could tell when somebody was in mourning a few feet before you got to them. He says, instead of that, I'm going to give you the oil of joy that will clean you up, as in the washing of regeneration. I'm going to clean you up. Ezekiel chapter 16 tells us that we were cast out in the open field to the loathing of our person polluted in our own blood. Jesus comes by and his time is the time of love. And he says unto us, live. Yea, he says unto us, live. And he takes us in and he washes us. And then part three is he puts upon us a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. A garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. You can take off the heaviness. Oh, we know that we are depraved. We know that we are sinners by nature. We know that we are sinners by practice. We know that we fall far short of the glory of God. We know this. 
But Jesus comes along and by the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, He takes off that garment of heaviness and gives unto us a garment of praise where we can glorify God. And that's what He does for us. Now, that's, isn't that amazing? That, that, uh, so that we might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that He might be glorified. So here is the, the, the seven spirits. We, we go back to Revelation chapter 1 and we see that John, as, as, as God reveals things unto, God, unto John, as he takes the lid off of heaven and lets John look down into heaven as, as John views all of this and he sees the seven spirits of God that are before the throne of God. And he sees them represented and magnified as the seven horns with the seven eyes upon the slain lamb. And we wonder, what does all this mean? What does all this represent? What, is this, uh, what does this do for us? And we turn all the way back to the book of Isaiah and we see where the, the Spirit of God was going to be uh, uh, anointing uh, Jesus Christ. That the Spirit of God anointed him with wisdom and understanding, with counsel and might, with knowledge and with the fear of God for the purpose of fulfilling this ministry of Jesus Christ right here. And that Holy Spirit continues to come. And as we said, uh, Jesus Christ himself uh, stood up in, in, in the book of Luke and he said, today is this uh, fulfilled in your ears today it is right there uh, and and you can see it happening and and, uh, and I love how uh, Jesus then uh, uh, it's it's kind of uh, paraphrased if you will in Luke chapter uh, four uh, and I believe uh, that's right Luke chapter four and verse yes eighteen we we'll go back to verse sixteen Jesus comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was. And I like it that it was his custom to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That's a pretty good custom for us to have, is to go into the worship service on the appointed day. And he stood up and he read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah. It's a Greek way of, of writing Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, you know, I've, I've, I've heard pre of preachers who, uh, you know, they they uh, open the book somewhere and that's where they start preaching, right? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus found the place where it was written. Jesus went to that place in particular. The scroll didn't just happen to open up there. He went to that place where it was written. And listen to how it is here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me, one, to preach the gospel to the poor. Two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Three, to preach deliverance to the captives. Four, the recovering of sight to the blind. Five, to set at liberty them which are bruised. Six, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Seven, and he closed the book and he said, today it's fulfilled. Isn't that great? It's fulfilled. All right then. The Holy Spirit the seven spirits of God have come and they have fulfilled the, the prophecy contained in the book of Isaiah. But aren't you thankful that the seven spirits of God didn't stop there? How do we know that? On the day of Pentecost, 
on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were gathered around together. And they were wondering, what are we going to do next? What's going to happen next? They had seen Jesus. He had risen from the grave. This was, this was 50 days after Passover. The, the, the Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. And they, they had seen Jesus. But he had, he had ascended into heaven. And they're, they're sitting around wondering, okay, what's next? And the angel said he's going to come back just like you saw him go. But the angel didn't give him a calendar. The angel didn't say, well, let's pull out your iPhone and we'll make an appointment. Right? And so they're wondering, well, maybe he's going to come back today. Maybe he's going to come back today. No, maybe he's going to come back today. And you know what we say? Even now, these years later, maybe he's going to come back today. The Scripture never says that the return of Jesus Christ will be immediate. The Scripture never says that the return of Jesus Christ will be immediate. But the Scripture does say this, that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. It can happen at any moment. It may not promise to be immediate, but it is imminent. It could happen at any moment. God, it could happen at any moment. I was hoping, but it... But until then, the Holy Spirit is with us. And just like on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and anointed those saints there. And you know what they started doing? They started proclaiming liberty to the captives and preaching a good news message and, and comforting those that were mourning and etc. Cetera, et cetera. They started doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And do you know what we continue to do today? Preach the good news of Jesus Christ and help those that are mourning and, 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 and those that are broken hearted and those that are feeling captive. And we give this good news of the deliverance and the healing power of Jesus Christ and we give unto you instead of the ashes on your head, God gives unto you that beautiful crown. And instead of the mourning, He gives unto you the oil of joy. So that even in the midst of your deepest, darkest, most difficult times, God can give you joy. And He makes you to see how that He is there with you, comforting you. He's still doing it today. There was a time when the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus. And when he got to Ephesus... He saw some people there worshiping God and, 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 and Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't know anything about a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about Holy Spirit? He said, well, what baptism do you have? And they said, the baptism of John. And Paul said, well, there's something better even than the baptism of John. And that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit anoints you, you don't have to be an ordained elder in the Primitive Baptist Church because wherever you are, your life is a mission field. And you can minister to people wherever you are. And you can tell them the good news. And you can help to, re to, to remind them of the joy they have in the Lord. 
May God bless us to do so. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.